Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Kerry Human. He's an entrepreneur, mindfulness facilitator, and mental health advocate. In this conversation, we discuss the series of events that led him to his first 10-day Vipassana retreat, the importance of investing in our mental wellness, and From Misery to Hope, a book that he co-authored with his late father, Robert D. Palmer. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presence. Welcome to Opening Presence. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us. Today I'm joined by Carrie Human. How are you? Doing well, bro. Really good to be here. Long time coming. I know. It, it has been a long time. Like, th- I think this is the closest proximity that we've seen each other. 100%. And I feel like it's only going to get, that gap's going to get a little bit smaller as you go into the new year. I hope so. No, it's like whenever we get together, like I'm always like super grateful because you're like walking graciousness and when i speak i know that you're listening and you give me your undivided attention and you ask amazing questions so i just want to say that i appreciate you for doing this and for being my friend right on yeah i mean the feeling is mutual i always feel that presence when i'm with you as well so i'm glad we could connect and yeah just dive deep hell yeah so how's this uh holiday season treating you like it's cold it's rainy um things slow down but what has it kind of been characterized by for you? Yeah, no, I definitely feel like uh, the holiday is on the mind. And I think for me, um, like there's there's the work component and then there's the personal component. Uh, in work, you know, I feel like I'm in a good space. Like I don't feel overwhelmed. I feel like the projects that I need to wrap up are like right. Like there's just a couple of finishing touches, you know, so that feels good. But I feel like on a personal level, I mean, I moved away from my family almost 16, 17 years ago. And when I say family, mainly just the people I grew up with, my mom and people like that. Uh, So the holidays have always just been an interesting time. I think over the years, I've just put myself in different communities or I've been in different relationships to where I feel like I've had these moments to just dive deep and talk about life. You know, I feel like the holidays definitely opened me up for more vulnerable conversations with with close friends. But I think too, um, not to get too deep too quick, uh, but I think the holidays are weird, too, because um, this is uh, my my dad's birthday is this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also the same month that he passed. So I think there's just like this. It's not sadness, but I think there's just kind of this vulnerability that I feel um, and just trying to express and still process. Like, what does that mean to me? Yeah. Yeah. That is a lot of rawness to navigate when there's no handbook to to go through that. And I think we can probably like wrap around to that but where did you grow up yeah so um i like to tell people i was born in los angeles raised in atlanta georgia and grew up in northern virginia right outside of dc and the only reason i say that not a military family we just moved around a lot but i spent my first seven years on earth in california the next seven years in atlanta and then i just grew up and kind of learned the ropes the birds and the bees as some would say in northern virginia so i feel spread out Mm -hmm. what was 
like what were some of like the I guess like tenets of growing up like that you learned about yourself or that that your family taught you about how to like operate in the world mm, yeah that's a that's a good question you mentioned there wasn't a handbook um my parents definitely didn't have a handbook uh they were also very young I think my mom was 23 when she had me um but yeah I mean I I definitely feel like I think there's two sides, you know, I think sometimes people will talk about their past and just highlight, you know, the negative or just highlight the positive. And I think, you know, both ends of the spectrum make us who we are. So I'm very grateful for for my parents. I know they've done and did the best they could with what they had. But I think for me, on the lighter positive side, one thing that I learned early on was just to, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but just to treat people with respect, like treat people the way that you want to be treated. And I know these days we have, you know, the five love languages. So people like to be loved and treated differently. So it's not always about treating people the way you want to be treated, but it's treating people the way that they want to be treated. And the only way you can figure that out is if you ask good Mm -hmm. questions Mm -hmm. that came later on. But I think just treating people, no matter what their race, if they had maybe some kind of um, maybe they have a disability or some kind of limitation, just treat people with respect. That's something that I feel uh, is at the foundation. But I think on the other side, there was a level of scarcity, whether it be from a financial level or a spiritual level that I felt in the household. Like it just seemed like somehow like my mom was just always trying to trying to make ends meet. And she did, you know, but I just feel like there was just a lot of scarcity and just a lot of belief that my only way to have a more abundant life would be either I would inherit it, I'd win the lottery, Mm. or I'd become famous. Mm -hmm. Like there was no in between. So I think for a long time, I kind of had this mindset of how can I get famous? How can I inherit it? Or how can I just win the lottery? And just, I don't feel like that has served me. So I feel like over the years, I've been able to change that program. Mm -hmm. So what were you like gravitating towards? Like, did any like early lessons kind of guide you on a path yeah yeah for sure i mean i think for me it's interesting because there was kind of this moment in time where from birth till about 18 i feel like i was truly a product of my environment just the thoughts and the the Mm -hmm. the movies and the songs and everything i was truly a product of that and it wasn't necessarily good or bad but i definitely wasn't aware of the observer And I feel like most of your listeners are aware of like this observer concept, but it's like the person, it's like, (laughs) if you're closing your eyes, you're like, who, what is that voice? Like who is talking like that observer? Like I just wasn't aware of it. So I think for me right around 18, um, like I'd finished high school, I barely finished high school, um, got into partying, you know, started drinking and just, just hanging out with the wrong people. But I started working in restaurants and just through that experience, there were a couple guys that I work with. And they they introduced me to cannabis and they introduced me to uh, psychedelics. First, it was like psilocybin, then LSD. I haven't done a lot, but I feel like, for example, when I first smoked cannabis, I was in an environment with people who were smoking more for the the spiritual component of it, the creative component of it. So I got deep into, you know, obviously a lot of people find Bob Marley when they start smoking, but I got a, I got pretty deep into just like Rastafariism. That's, I'm not a Rasta, but I can appreciate it. But then I also feel like there was like a moment where because I started to become aware that I'm not necessarily my thoughts, 
I started to have a lot more freedom, I think, in my life. So I feel like that opened me up to, uh, I mean, I think also to the psilocybin probably opened my brain up. But then I, you know, I stumbled on like Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukov, which like that book just Bars. rocked me. It's like one of the first ones mm -hmm. that I read. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? I want more of this. And then that opened me up to so many other things. But I, I think just to kind of wrap up that thought, I feel like... It's funny how like the universe guides us in interesting ways if you're open to it. And I think for me, like growing up, you know, listening to, you know, Tupac and, and Snoop Dogg and, and New Edition and Anita Baker. I mean, all of that stuff is a part of who I am. And, um, you know, once I sort of had that experience and I started listening to like, you know, Bob Marley and I started listening to like Deepak Chopra and I started listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer, like something in my brain just shifted to where I just started to recognize that there was more to me than just this meat suit. So I think that's when that spiritual journey started. It's like, mm -hmm. like, what are you if you're not this thing that you can see? Yeah, that's like, like a homecoming, essentially, mm. that, like everyone has at different points in time, mm. like to, to find seat of the soul. I see I used to see it at Goodwill like all the time all the time i'm like what what is this seed of the soul like nobody likes this book apparently because there's hundreds of always copies. a copy of it. you can go to any goodwill right now i swear to god you can walk into the book section and you will find seed of the soul for 2.99 yeah like what it, it's the best it's one of the best books i've ever read in my life that mm -hmm. speaks like the language that like I've always felt, mm. but I've never experienced in community with other people. Mm. Like, so it's like these deep, deep understandings of soul, but you can't really articulate it. And he puts it all right there. Mm. I'm like, oh, this makes so much fucking sense. Yeah. And growing up in San Diego, like nobody ever like, like resonated with any of the things that I was saying. Mm. So I felt like I was always wrong. I was like, oh, like I must be on planet Mars or something because nobody's like conferring any of the things that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also found out that Gary Zukov lives in Ashland, Oregon. Really? Yes. Wow. I know. I'm, not, I'm trying to go down there and get him visit. on the pod. I know. Like, <laughs> hey, bro, can you give me on the podcast, please? Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I guess like when you start going inward, where did it lead you as far as like practice and, and relationship to self? Yeah. So I, I think I just need to take a step back. Uh, so through that time of like growing up and just trying to find myself and working in restaurants and exploring, um, I got really into drinking alcohol. Mm. Like it became a functional part of my life to where I didn't even think I had an issue because everyone around me was doing it. And, you know, if if you or if you know anyone or if you're listening to this and you work in the restaurant industry, there's definitely this culture of partying you know, after work. And it's not necessarily good or bad. I have so much respect and love for the industry. I learned a lot. Um, but I just, I, I became very dependent on alcohol and nicotine and weed and some other things. And I feel for me, I just kind of had one of those moments where I was, so I was talking, I was on a, I was talking to some friends yesterday and we were just talking about like sobriety in general and what does that mean? And a lot of people who choose sobriety on the other end of it, most people are like, oh wow, something must've happened to you. Like, why are you sober? Like what happened? And it's not always the case. Like some people just say, Hey, like it's just time. But for me, like something did happen and I'll, I'll make it quick, but I essentially, um, like I was hungover one day. I think I woke up at like 7 PM. Like I was like, I worked late. I went out, 
I slept through the day and it was like 7 p.m. I woke up and I'm like, you know, I just kind of had that urge. So I ended up going to one of my favorite bars at the time, drank until the bar closed. There were some people there who were having a party outside of the bar because that's what you do. Um, went to like this little small party. The people that I initially went with left. It was like three in the morning now. I'm drunk, um, smoked a little bit. But then they started passing around this bong again. And, you know, if you ever saw that movie Friday, there's a scene where uh, Smokey like like hits the, the joint. And like a couple minutes later, he's like in the chicken coop and yep. he's like running. Like it wasn't quite like that, but it was it was like that. Like I had an experience where something went around. I took a couple hits and like, bro, like I took my shirt off. Like I ended up like running down the fire. Like it was a it was an intense night. It was like a mm. fire escape that I ran out. I got home and I just like, I think I had like two beers in the fridge. I closed them, like I, I, I emptied them and I'm just like, you know, universe, God, like, I don't know what's going on, but like, just give me a sign. Like I was crying. Like it was just like a moment where I'm like, like I can't keep living my life like this. And some things happened there that put me in a situation where I didn't feel safe. And like, I like ran home. Like it just wasn't a good experience. Mm. Um, but that next day I'm like, okay, I'm not going to that bar for a while. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't drink anything, but I just, I was so used to going out. Like I needed to get out. So I went to a restaurant um, and I didn't order a drink, but I overheard somebody at another table. Cause at this time, like I said, I'd, I'd read seat of the soul. I, you know, I, I was into Deepak Chopra and I was diving into, you know, I read Malcolm X's biography and just some other things. So I was aware of self-knowledge, but I was off the path. But this guy was saying like, Hey, I just got back from this meditation retreat and I was there for 10 days and this and this. And I'm just like, Hey, I'm not trying to be weird, but I overheard you talking about this retreat. Can you tell me more? He gave me some details. I went home, got online, and essentially I'm like, yo, like I'm going to I'm going to do this vipassana meditation. But long story short, I um I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just felt like I was called to something. So at the time, I um I signed up for this 10-day meditation retreat. Before this point, the most I'd ever meditated was for maybe 5 minutes, 10 minutes, and I was super distracted. So I get to this meditation uh retreat it's uh, in Onalaska, Washington. They still have a really great mm -hmm, facility. Mm -hmm. um, but I go there, you know, they tell you to turn your phones in. This was before Facebook and maybe maybe MySpace was around, but I like had a BlackBerry phone and I turned that in and they're just like, hey, these are the rules, like no phone, no email. Please refrain from like talking to your peers, refrain from touching people, you know, masturbation, writing anything, like just be focused, show up. If you need help, we have instructors here, facilitators who can help you. So I just remember like the first couple days, like in my mind was just like, bro, what are you doing here? Like I tried to like, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I want to escape this place. But by like the seventh day um, of meditating 18 hours a day in silence, there's like a moment to like walk out and just kind of take a break before you go back into a session. And up until this point, I, I hadn't done too many um like I hadn't really done any kind of retreat. Like most of the feelings that I had came from like drug induced experiences. And that's not always bad, but for me it was generally alcohol or something harder that would give me some kind of experience. This was the first time and as long as I can remember where like I, I started crying. I say for no reason, but there obviously was emotion that was coming up. But like I felt like something in me for the first time could feel again without a stimulant and from there I just started to realize that there was something to this sitting in silence 
And that was just kind of where the journey really happened. Like reading Seed of the Soul is very different from having your own experience to where you get to meet your soul. Mm-hmm. And then you have the choice to sort of go down that path. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. That's like a journey and a journey and a half. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the abridged version. <laughs> but, but it's yeah. like we need to get there in some way, mm-hmm. like some way, somehow, like we have these yearnings of like, this isn't the right path. But mm-hmm. it's like, how do you get out of something that's so like ingrained in our culture and our mm-hmm. society and our upbringing? Because like I basically like just remove myself from my primary friendship group from growing up like Mm. i talked to like maybe two people from that same group Mm. like out of like 20 yeah (laughs) like they're not a part of my life anymore Mm -hmm. um but just having that that knowing because we all have the knowing Mm -hmm. do we keep turning it off or are we going to like follow it without a guarantee on the other side of it Mm. yeah i want to talk a little bit more about like the actual Vipassana retreat. Cause I haven't done one yet. I'm like long overdue. Like I'm supposed, I'm supposed to have already done a 10 day retreat. And, <laughs> They've got a seat for and you. experience it. I actually signed up, signed up for the one that, that you went to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still like require masks. And I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and like wear a mask while I'm meditating yeah. for, for 10 days. Like that's, that's just, a lot. That's very suffocating. <laughs> like, yeah, like bro. to breathe air, like mm-hmm. what you're going to obstruct me from doing that. So that's the only thing that's held me back from, uh, doing one, um, at that specific location. Mm. Um, but did you have that moment there where you're like, Oh, like this is something that I'm going to commit to for the rest of my life. Cause I think that's the, the daunting part of starting a practice is holding yourself up to some sort of like impossible standard of like, I have to do it for the rest of my life type of thing. But mm-hmm. once you receive the benefit and you give yourself that, okay, like this is something that's worth it. Mm-hmm. And having that new experience, it inspires us to, to move forward. So I guess kind of go into what that shift was for you of being like, oh, this is to support me and I'm willing to give myself over to the practice. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, again, I'd I'd started to I started the path of like personal development. Um, So I by this time, too, I'd read, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and like in my mind, I understood these concepts and I knew that creating a rich life had very little to do with how much money I had or like where I worked, but more of like, how am I showing up for myself and for my community and for my, my art, my passion. So, and also too, for better or for worse, I do have one of those personalities where like, if I get into something, like I'm obsessed with it for the amount of time that I'm obsessed with it. And I've learned how to make that work for me. Um, I think, when I had that day where I, you know, burst out in tears and was just becoming more aware of the observer. And then just like, I mean, I read something that the average human brain has like 40,000 thoughts a day. We can only say one thing at a time, but we have 40, over 40,000 thoughts, probably thousands a minute, you know? So it's like, like, like I just, I started, I started to realize that if I'm going to have these thoughts, like, I, I need to make a conscious choice of which ones to follow. So I think mm, for me in mm. that moment, like I hadn't drank in a, a few days now. Um, I, I could feel, I feel like there was clarity. So when I got back, I was doing the, the Vipassana practice. They, they asked that you do it an hour in the, the day 
and an hour at night. And I did that for a few months, but what I found was that my excuses for the most part were stronger than like my reasons. So mm -hmm. like I just didn't show up. Like I would go I would do a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday I wouldn't do it at night. Thursday I wouldn't do it in the morning. And then it just it just kind of fizzled out, you know, and I refined it later on, but I definitely feel like I feel like it's exactly what I needed for the time. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Why do you people why do you think people are aversive to starting a practice? Any kind of practice or meditation specific? A meditation practice. Yeah, I mean I feel I think for me the reasons, and I like to think that there's a collective consciousness, so I like to think other people feel this too, but I feel for me what stopped me in the past or what my blockers were were <laughs> so just a quick story. I remember when I was probably I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, um, I had a friend who lived next door to this guy who was a monk. And I didn't know what a monk was, but I remember I was at his house for dinner one night and like we had to like pass the guy's house to get to my friend's house. And he's like, the guy here meditates, like let's run past his house. Like we were <laughs> like, we didn't know what it was. We we're like that guy in there meditates. So like we like ran past the house and we both were scared. And we didn't really ask any questions about it. <laughs> I look back on them like, why did we run past his house in fear? Like, what were we being taught? You know, so I think the first part is um, there's fear and it may not be that, but I think there's just the fear of the unknown. I think that's just like a natural human emotion, like fear of the unknown. I think also, too, I feel like people don't I think because it is so it's easy, but it's not simple or simple, but it's not easy. Like it's easy to do it. But it's not simple to keep up with it. And I think for some people, because we live, for the most part, in a microwave society, like people want quick results. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with meditation, like, yeah, you can get quick results by just closing your eyes and following your breath for three breaths. But it's it's more of like the farmer's mentality of like, yo, like I'm, I'm tilling this soil. I'm going to get down the best seeds possible and I'm going to nurture these seeds. Mm -hmm. And I know the fruit isn't going to be here tomorrow, but I know I'm going to keep showing up. So when this fruit does start to uh, sprout... I know that this is going to be stuff that I want to eat and that I want to share with other people. So I think mm -hmm. it's also too, it's not, it's not always instant for people. Like some people sit down and they're just like, nothing happened. And I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of the, the thing. Like nothing's supposed to really happen. It's just, you're, you're sitting and you're becoming aware of your thoughts. And the last thing I'll say is again, I mean, I think, I think we just have excuses. Like people say I'm too busy to meditate. It's like, well, if you were to meditate, you probably wouldn't feel as busy because you have a little more space in your brain to just prioritize, mm -hmm. you know? So there's probably other reasons, but those are the three that come to yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a huge aversion and the fear of like finding like what the truth really is. Like when you can't hide from the truth anymore and it's just like right there on your dinner plate and you like, you're like, yep, that's what it is. Yeah. I think that's something that like even like myself like i was like on the fence about it and then like after my mom had passed like i was like the year past her her passing and that's a lot of pasts <laughs> but i was like i want to have a different experience like i'm done with this shit like i'm done feeling like i'm lesser i'm mm. done feeling like i don't have deep connections or or i'm seeking in the wrong places for the fulfillment and like when when people say like fulfillment is found within it truly mm -hmm. fucking is but it's just like 
embracing like that long long journey like mm-hmm. i'm just like oh i'm slow i'm i'm i get excited for for the process of just unfolding over time and just committed to knowing that it's it's not going to happen overnight mm-hmm. but this is something that is going to just that has already yielded so many results so many like beautiful fruit but mm-hmm. i'm like oh like what's it going to look like when i'm like 60 and like 70 mm-hmm. and like when i'm like 80 years old like what that's going to look like so i'm playing like the long game and it and it it allows me to remove the pressure of like i have to have everything figured out right now mm-hmm. it's like the only thing that i'm committed to is myself mm-hmm. and and just being consi- as consistent as possible like doing it more often than i don't do it mm-hmm. and if, as long as i can stay on that track I feel like, all right, cool. I'm going to be okay with whatever comes at the end instead of trying to like force an, a, a result that I desire or crave or that I want to happen. Cause it's like the universe is so intelligent that it'll give us exactly what we want and it'll give us what we don't want as well. Mm. 100%. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, like treating both like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, can you have the same reaction to something that's less desirable as desirable. Mm. Like, I, I think that's kind of how my practice is kind of starting to, um, or at least like the awareness, my awareness catches when something good happens and just like not letting myself get completely like out of body. I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, that's cool. But it's almost like, just like expected. And like when we, when my studio got broken into and my cameras were stolen Mm. and like paying attention to my body and realizing like, Oh, like I'm still a whole person. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still like worthy of love. I'm still, I'm not diminished in any, in any sense of the the word. Mm. And, and I'm not going to prolong this energy of being attacked in a sense. I'm not going to like keep this energy up. I'm going to release it and move on to the next moment. Mm. And can I be present for the next moment? Because I could still hold on to these things that are kind of like, quote unquote, roadblocks. Or I can hold on to the winds and just be like, hey, like we're riding drunk and high. Like, <laughs> like, look what like I was like, that's like uh, when everyone has an uncle who played like football or something. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, when we won state. I'm like, Unk, that was like 50 years ago. What are you talking about? Like, that's not today. And people are like living in that old memory. So mm-hmm. being very mindful that everything is impermanent and everything is changing and welcoming the change. And it's like, Oh, what's around the next corner? Oh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see. Cause it's a complete mystery every single time. hundred mm. percent. You, you said a lot there and I, I, I want to see if I can just speak to one of those things. I'm just trying to rack in my brain exactly what I want to speak to. Um, you were saying something about, um, I, I think what I was just trying to highlight was you were talking about, that moment when you were dealing with, you know, death and grief, how there was sort of this voice in you. And I think that's what's interesting, too. Like, I feel like we can connect with our higher self or that inner voice when things are going well. Like, I think that's possible. But I find that there's something that's much more vulnerable. And there's a level of humility that I think we experience as human beings when things aren't necessarily going the way that we want them to or hope that they would. And I just feel like if we're able to take those moments as lessons and not as, you know, life is just trying to beat me down. Punishment. Punishment. Yeah. Like there's a moment of growth here. So it just sounds like for you, like you really leaned into these things that were happening on the external world to, to get some insight inside. And yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting because people, 
at least a lot of people, our society is kind of based around like people being rich and wealthy and creating success and, you know, living the good life. And like, we understand that, you know, working a career that is satisfying and putting money away and paying yourself is important. People can see that. Like if you save money, like, and it compounds, like you're going to have more money. But for whatever reason, the, the the translation still hasn't happened for people that like if you invest in your mental health, if you invest in your spiritual health over time, that's going to compound and it's going to pay you in dividends. To your point, when you are 60, 70, 80 years old and everyone around you is starting to die or when the world is just doing things that it wasn't doing when you were younger, I think someone that is invested in their mental health and spiritual health will be able to handle that a lot more than someone who's been so focused on this external world and hasn't even had a moment to really listen to, you know, their, their highest self really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just super grateful to like have practices and like have people like you're saying, like the, like financial wealth. And it's like, Oh yeah, we all want those things, mm-hmm. types of things. But like, I clearly identified like the value in my life is the relationships that I have, mm-hmm. like the people that I have in my life and like the ability to express myself authentically and to receive people's authenticity mm-hmm. and to grow and nurture these relationships. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the value. Like you can't, you can't get me off of like understanding like where that, that true value is. And, mm-hmm. and um, not a lot of people have that. And that's something that I, I definitely don't take for granted, but I, I'm realizing like, oh, like I need to keep staying here. Mm-hmm. All the other things are going to come if I stay honest with practice, uh, be good to my friends, mm-hmm. like be of service. And how can I help? Like, what are the talents that I have that I can give the world? And hopefully like they can help somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's like you help one person, like you're doing an amazing job. 100%. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? I mean, I think the last thing I'll just say is... Not uh, the last thing. We still got 30 minutes to go. <laughs> um, I mean, I think something that is, you know, top of mind, I think it's become... I mean, when I say popular, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I do feel like this conversation of <clears throat> mental health and mental wellness and mental stability is just something that has become more like socially acceptable, mm-hmm. like it's cool to have a therapist kind of thing. And I, I I think something that I just really want to to lean into a little bit more is, I guess for you, like when you think about your, your mental health and, you know, you're an artist, you're doing all these great things, you're impacting a lot of people. I, I guess I'm just curious, like how do you, how do you prioritize your mental health when you have so many demands? Oh, it's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely number one. Everything else is just the extra stuff. Mm. I'm trying to take care of my mind, my body, my spirit. And then it's just like whatever overflows Mm. is the creative expression. So it's not, it's like if I'm on like a, like a track Mm. and it's like mental health is the track. I stay on that track. I never get off of that track. Mm. And then all these other things are just kind of like arms from that same I guess like central motion or vessel Mm. and just like, okay, here, like we're just, we're just kind of floating across, but knowing that the health isn't the most important thing and making it feel just like natural. I'm just like doing the things that feel good to me Mm. and that's it. 
I'm like, all right, like what feels good? Oh, that doesn't feel good. And then the lower self, like the lack self, like will definitely come in. And that's when I like dust off my resume and like try to like get like a real job and all that kind of stuff. And I got to like, like go back on LinkedIn and it's like those corny ass messages like, Oh, I I have I hope you've been doing well. I've been doing this and da 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 and like hitting up recruiters and shit and doing the the dance. I'm like, why do we got to do this dance? Like, why do we do this dance when we want our needs filled? Mm-hmm. Like, how is there has to be a different way? Yeah. And I think I've committed myself to to living that different way to mm-hmm. get the needs that I have met. But every single time I've tried to do it the other way mm-hmm. like the traditional way that everybody's doing it and like buttoning it up suit and tie and trying to present themselves and basically like act to get their needs met i'm mm-hmm. like okay like i've done that it doesn't feel good for me how else can i get my needs met mm-hmm. like and i i think that's part of like the the stepping into the unknown because it's like oh like can i make money like selling art or can i make money offering my meditation workshop and services even though i haven't done a 10-day vipassana retreat and i Mm. haven't gotten certified from a meditation school and Mm. i don't have this lineage or the education behind it i'm drawing off of personal experiences Mm. and coming up with with my own shit Mm -hmm. essentially in my own structures and then sharing that and and seeing that it has value when applied. So that's the scary part of it. It was just like, oh, there's not a lot of backing, but it feels the best for me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to trust what feels good. Mm. I think, too, it's funny as you were saying that I was I was leaning into that. And it's interesting because I feel like I've I've kind of dabbled into I, I, I would say that's like a variation of like imposter syndrome when you kind of fluctuate. But it's like. Like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously people can't see, but like you're, I'm looking at your books right now and it's like, I see all these scholars and these professors and these spiritual masters who, you know, are essentially like writing the books on a lot of these different philosophies and theories. So it's like, like, I think our society is interesting too, because there's kind of this, it's this construct that if you don't go to these schools, then your knowledge isn't relevant. Like your life experience, the books you've read, the workshops you've gone to, the conversations you've been a part of, the sessions that you've helped to facilitate, like that all has so much value, I think, in our evolution. And I think too, you know, I I feel for me, something that I meant to mention earlier is self-talk. And it's something, again, going back to meditation, but just the importance of self-talk and how there's this, there's a very interesting dialogue around self-talk because first off, it's like if, you know, if you, if you hear voices in your head, like you're, you're crazy, which is, you know, kind of dismissive because we all have voices in our heads. It's just what voices are we listening to? And I feel for me, again, growing up in an environment where I felt like scarcity was much more present than abundance, my self-talk was horrible. You know, and I think one of the questions that I heard a a while back, you've probably heard it too. It's like, would you say to your best friend or to someone you love, or would you talk to someone that you love the same way that you talk to yourself? Would you treat Mm. someone the same way you treat yourself? And there are some people who have very healthy self-esteem. I'm working on it, you know, and it's not confidence. It's not arrogance. It's just reminding yourself that I am capable or like, like I can do this. You you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And I think something that's important to this journey is really acknowledging it sounds so like corny but like 
like what you take in goes out, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. like the media, what you listen to, what you eat, who you spend time with, how you spend your money, where you spend your money, like all of that plays a part in your experience here as a human. So for me, like, bro, like I can't even like listen to half the music I used to listen to growing up. And I love these songs still, you mm-hmm. know, but it's like I don't need to enforce this concept in my mind even though that beat is ridiculous and these lyrics are so poetic like i need to quit repeating this stuff because my subconscious i mean (laughs) that's probably gonna be in my head all day which isn't a horrible thing to have in your head by the way but i'm just saying like there's other things that are much more intense than that and you're just like yo bro i've been looping this in my head for the last week no wonder i feel like shit today yeah yeah i I think over the last number of years, just like re- recognizing and realizing like how malleable we are and how mm. suggestible we are. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even though you don't believe it now, mm. like you still just repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Like, mm. like I try to start every day or at least just try to like feel what it feels like to be grateful. Mm. And it's like, I'm worthy of love. Like I'm worthy of abundance. Mm. Like I'm, I'm grateful for mm. like my brother, my family, like the people, the relationships I have and just keep speaking these these things into existence mm. and and embodying what that frequency like feels like i like on my like desk or this i'll go get the paper i'll pick up the paper right now podcast is on the move to the bookshelf but right here it says i'm so happy and grateful now that i am earning in excess of one hundred thousand dollars a month through multiple revenue sources i love it and it's something that like sometimes I forget it. Mm. And then like there's other times where it's like on the top of my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I repeat it over and over and over again. Because when we're on this like path of like self-discovery and like finding new avenues to, to help ourselves. Like hypnosis came up for me. What was his name? Uh, not Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Mm. So he talks about Biology the sub- of belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he talks about like the subconscious mind and mm-hmm. we're just basically running programs mm-hmm. all the time. 80%. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just like we're not consciously thinking about what we're doing. It's just what do we know? What created safety in the past? Mm-hmm. And how do we recreate that same level of safety? But we could be operating in a sense of lack. Mm-hmm. So he talks about doing like hypnosis therapy, like before you go to bed with like a script that mm. basically tells you or that expresses to you like the, the ideas and the thoughts that you kind of want to move into the next day with or mm-hmm. and and just so success and abundance and gratitude is your automatic operating system mm-hmm. so those are like the areas that i've started tapping into because like my waking mind i'm like i'm giving less importance to my thoughts i'm like oh i can't trust my mind mm-hmm. i can't trust you you're untrustworthy because mm-hmm. you'll tell me that i'm not worth shit mm-hmm. whenever i have a fucking cheeseburger and the carbs <laughs> like hit my like like the bread the carbs from the bread hit my stomach and then i feel sluggish and then i'm like oh a bad thought will creep in and it Mm. turns into like a binge. So I'm very, very like mindful of how my body and my thoughts are affected through diet, through like sleep. Mm. Like I've been off of caffeine for a month. Yesterday I had my first coffee in over a month. Oh, you were probably breakdancing. And I, yeah, I was fucking doing (laughs) backflips and stuff. No practice or anything, but I found like I, I took notes down, but like I wrote, like I got a bunch of stuff done, but I was laying in bed at midnight last night and I I couldn't sleep. Mm. 
And then I felt this like desire or craving to be stimulated. I'm like, I don't watch porn, mm -hmm. but like, I was like, oh, I want to see what's like what the old porn stars I used to look <laughs> at. Like, like, what does she look like? Mm -hmm. And I got pulled up pictures and I was like, no, Aaron, like this isn't this isn't the way <laughs> Like I pulled up pictures. I was like, yeah, she still look bad, but no, that's not it. So I cut myself off right there. Mm -hmm. But I just but that note of caffeine guides me towards craving mm. and it it either leads to cigarettes it leads to uh more social media consumption but mm. recognizing my relationship to it and then i'm able to change that like mm. i don't have any desire to drink caffeine now like after like taking those notes like it was like i wrote it on my whiteboard i was like all right like it made me like want sex mm. because i had a coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> But it's all connected. 100%. And we all have to kind of just open, just like put the floodlights on on our life and just mm -hmm. seeing how all these decisions move from the next one to the next one. Mm -hmm. And that's just the process that I feel like I've fallen in love with is just like decoding the programming, attacking the healing, recognizing like uh, our pain, mm -hmm. our grief, investing in our health and our relationships. I'm like, oh, like this is all that there is and just sharing it with other people that maybe haven't started that journey yet. Mm, yeah. I love that. And I, I just want to piggyback. I think too, I think some people hear this and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not that disciplined or I'll never be that disciplined or I don't have that kind of awareness. And I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about this being, it's the long game. I mean, it's the difference between being wealthy and being rich. You know, it's what can you do every day just a little bit to add to that you know, spiritual bank account or whatever you want to call it. And I just think it's so important too for us to, again, recognize that, you know, if I think about our lives as a work of art and we have a chance to create a masterpiece, like if this is clay, if our life is clay and we get to mold it and sculpt it, like there's so many opportunities to refine what we're working with. And I think what you just spoke of was like you have this, masterpiece that you're working on and you're just like chiseling out these areas that just don't belong there anymore uh, to refine what you're trying to create. And I think something else that can just kind of be a barrier or stop us is feeling like, like you're going to let yourself down. So like, why even like, why even stop drinking caffeine? Because I know I'm going to want it again mm -hmm. versus I'm just going to like not drink caffeine for however long I don't drink it and then mm -hmm. see what happens afterwards. Yep. And if I decide to keep, not keep doing that, I won't. And if I decide to drink it again, I will. And I'll reevaluate this. But I think again, like we live in the society where in, in grade school, we're awarded with, with, with letters that tell us if we're doing well or not, A, B, C, D, E, or F. And no one wants to get below a C. I mean, I was a C student. So I was happy if I got a B, I was a C student, but you know, you get a D or you get an F and it's like, wow, I failed. Like, I'm bad at this versus, you know, I, I think I heard a podcast probably a few weeks ago and the guy was like, you know, he likes to ask his kids every day, like, where did, how did you fail today? Where did you fail? Because he wanted to desensitize them feeling like their failure was a failure. A failure is really just someone who just literally gives up versus mm -hmm. how can I pivot? You know, how can I turn this lemon into to lemonade? I think I'll just say one more thing too, uh, going back to fear, I'm listening to this book by uh, Ryan Holiday, who's like really into like stoicism, mm -hmm. but it's it's something along the lines of courage and courage has been coming up for me a lot lately, but there's a part where he's talking about this general from like back in the day 
but he's like, I was scared, but I wasn't afraid. And it's like recognizing that it's okay to be scared. Like a lot of things scare the shit out of me, but being afraid of something is like, it's like crippling you from taking the step forward. So I think too, like it's okay to let something scare you, but like, don't let it stop you from your growth, mm-hmm. you know? So that that's just what came up for me when you were sharing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, you weren't scared to write a book. So <laughs> I'm picking up this book. It's called From Misery to Hope by Robert D. Palmer and Carrie Human. Tell me a little bit more about this. Yeah. Thank you for the gift, too. Yeah, 100%. I'm really grateful that we had a chance to connect. And I, I meant to give that to you last time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it's bittersweet. You know, I think a lot of people in their mind, whether they think they're a writer or not, they're like, I want to write a book. You know, it's just something that feels very tangible. And it is. Um, and this is a whole nother story. But I, I got to meet my dad pretty late in life. And a lot of different things happened for us to connect. But we met late in life. Um, I only got to spend like two and a half years with him before he passed. Um, but my dad was a um, pretty celebrated professional musician. And he also was a songwriter. Like that was his craft. And uh, when I first met him, you know, we talked about life. We caught up on a lot of stuff. But he's just like, you know, son, and I, I've had a wild life. And meeting you is just adding to that. I'm like, dad, you should write a book. And he's like, well, I've been working on something, but I just haven't been able to really pull it all together. So him and I were essentially just like, hey, like, let's let's get to know each other through this process, you mm-hmm. know? So uh, a lot of the book is my dad's story, just some of the different experiences he had. And, you know, I helped with some of the editing and just some of the conceptualizing. And I've, I've got a couple chapters in there, but really it was, I think, a gift for me and just an honor for me to be able to release it. He actually passed before the book was released. Mm. Um, So like I said, it's bittersweet, but it's just one of those things where like having, like writing a book is one thing, but having the opportunity to create with your parent. um, In the beginning, I'm like, wow, this isn't gonna work. Cause we had very different working styles and like, I'm like, dad, man, I love you, man. But like, maybe this isn't what we get to work on together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we both just took a step back. We we both stopped trying to do the same things and just let each other be in their lane. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, um, he got to me what he needed to get to me. I added that. My dad's sister, my aunt, uh, helped to edit most of it. I also got it to another editor just for another eye that wasn't so attached to the material. Um, but it was an incredible experience. And the last thing I'll say is um, my dad... Um, you know, again, I, I'm an advocate, I'm a mental health advocate. So I, I speak openly about suicide and just suicide prevention. Uh, he died by suicide. And I feel like the book really was an opportunity to just show the mind of someone who has dealt with mental illness for the majority of their life. So Mm -hmm. it, it really is just, um, it's like a love letter and also a, um, I think just a really, just vulnerable book yeah yeah and i really appreciate you for like walking in that vulnerability Mm. because it's so fucking difficult and you have to be so strong to do it but like to walk in it in a public way Mm. and to not be wavering and sharing it and realizing it's like oh it's tough like it's tough and and you express that but it's not impossible and and thank you for walking with your head up through it all and putting it out there yeah Yeah. how do you deal with 
like grief like i i don't think i've had like a lot of moments i've done a lot of like celebrating like my mom and and just being like like i'm you baby like yeah (laughs) i'm like i am my mom i'm Mm. literally like and i'm learning some she's my greatest teacher Mm. like she's she loved on people almost to like a fault but just wanted people to succeed and to her detriment it was just like hey like i'm gonna make sure that you don't fail Mm. and i'm just like but mom like you're not doing well Mm. like type of things yeah next year it'll be five years i believe wow since she passed but like i don't have those like down and out like type of things but i i don't know if i'm avoiding i'm avoiding it or Mm. do i need to like trick myself into feeling bad um in order to am i like avoiding the processing of grief Mm. at that at that point because i'm just like evolving and becoming a new person Mm -hmm. at the same time so wondering it's like where what grief feels like when it comes up and then how do we like process it for people that are listening yeah 100 percent um I've seen, you know, I've I've followed you on social media for a bit now and I see when you post about your mom and it always it all it always warms my heart because I just I think your mom would really appreciate the son that you are and the human that you've become, just the way you honor her and just continue to pour into her legacy. Um so it's just really cool to see that. And I think grief, I mean I, you know, they talk about the stages of grief and they there's definitely no playbook. You know, it can just kind of creep up on you and I mean, I, I feel grief in this particular instance with my dad is unique because I didn't grow up with him, you know, like I don't have these memories of him from birth through my entire life. Like I met him when I was 37, you know, that was a few years ago. So I think for me, like not knowing really who my biological dad was up until 37 and then uncovering who my biological father was and then him and I like actually connecting was like it was like I think about a puzzle that you have on your table and it's missing one piece and you're like where in the hell is that piece Mm, I just mm -hmm, had it mm -hmm. it came with the box right (laughs) you know and then one day you're just like vacuuming and you're just like is that the piece and that's what it felt like when I finally got to connect with my dad and meet him and hear his side of the story um so when he passed I mean, obviously it was sad, you know, I felt that. And I, I have moments where I'm like, you know, dad, I, I miss you, man, but I can feel you. And just the gift that his presence in my life has given me. I mean, I have five siblings who I, I talk to some of them more than others. Um, and just some of the experiences that have come from meeting my dad. So I think for me, I feel like the grief that I've had in this instance, I've been more inspired to process it publicly because I feel like that vulnerability is actually me healing. Like it's Mm -hmm. not something that I need to hide. So by me not feeling like I have to have this double life and not share this vulnerable thing about, oh, I didn't know who my dad was until I was 37 and oh, he died by suicide. Like, wow, that's some, that, that can be really traumatizing for someone to take on. So for me, it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an alchemist and I'm gonna turn this into something that can benefit people and I'll heal on this path so i've just tried Mm -hmm. to use it for for healing yeah i yeah i feel like i do that with everything Mm. like anything that's like could be possibly perceived as negative Mm -hmm. i like put it out into the world Mm -hmm. and be like hey this is what happened stub my toe 
like hurt <laughs> hurt really bad yeah but what i learned about it was da, 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 it's a path to awakening and da, 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 da. but but yeah i i do like appreciate that sentiment because it's like it's powerful because it's like like you said it is alchemizing our being mm. and and reinterpreting uh situations where it's like oh like there's no shame in being alive mm. this is a part of living mm-hmm. like why the fuck are we like so conditioned to like hide the human parts of ourselves and in, in the things that happen to us and mm-hmm. that most of the time happen for us like i don't say it often but it's like losing my mother allowed me to tap into who i truly am i used to be so like codependent my, me and my mom's relationship was very codependent mm-hmm. like like she got me everything I wanted when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. like everything I wanted, but I didn't realize that it wasn't so much for me, but it was like to make her happy Mm because her seeing me happy made her happy. Mm -hmm. So how do I, how do I become happy is to make my son happy. So I'm going to go get him the shoes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go get him those things. Mm -hmm. And that's how she modulated her emotions. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can only recognize that from being away from her Mm. and i'm like oh like this is what was going on like i had no fucking clue Mm. you grew up this way and and like very toxic upbringing like parents and and not having a dad and now it's like her uh, father who she never had a relationship with his side of the family like found me on 23andme and now Mm. i like have people in like chicago that i have to like that i'm like meeting and stuff and i'm like whoa this whole like puzzle is unfolding wow. and it's a beautiful thing to see it all happening. Um, but now it's like parts of myself are becoming healed and it's like, what is the empowered version or like the healed version of my mother? What would she do like in the world right now? And it's, it's always, it's always just uncovering. It's like, Oh shit. Like I didn't know that this part of me was here. And, um, and then it's like when you're talking about the puzzle piece, my dad is the puzzle piece, but he's in the Smithsonian behind like bulletproof glass. Mm. So it's like, I see you, mm. I see the puzzle piece, but I can't have access to you and the knowledge behind it. Wow. And that's, that's almost, that's fucking difficult. Cause mm. I'm like, yo, like you can like inform and give, give us love or whatever information so yeah. we can move throughout this world like knowing our history and Mm -hmm. like our connection and and all that kind of stuff that was never the opportunity was never taken but i think at some point it's like we just take responsibility of everything and forgive our parents and forgive anyone who does done anything wrong because like you said in the beginning it's just like like our parents and people around us are just operating on what 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 they have at that current moment and Mm -hmm. it's not a personal thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, that visual that you just painted with the puzzle piece and the Smith. You started it though. Wow. Yeah, I just, I'm just playing <laughs> off of you. I'm like puzzle piece. That's a good one. <laughs> I will say one last thing. I feel like we're probably gonna wrap up, but um, in terms of mental health, um, you know, I I know people listen to different things, but I I know Kendrick dropped an album this year that was highly anticipated, and you know, a lot of that album is around his own mental health and just some of the challenges, but there's, there's a song where it's called uh, mom, I'm sober. The first time I heard the song, like I was, I was literally crying. I'm like, wow, this is, this is powerful. Um, but he says, you haven't felt grief until you have felt it sober. And I think there's something really impactful about that because I feel like in the loss that I've had with my dad and 
I mean, I lost one of my best friends when I was 25. He had a brain aneurysm, like literally talked to him the day before. So like I've, I've had my fair share of things, but I just feel like back then, like that was the carry that would drink every night and like not really feel anything. And now you have this version of Carrie who's been sober. I mean, it'll be 11 years, December 26th. It's a long time. Yeah. Thank you. So I've, I've felt a lot of stuff, you know, and I think again, Ryan holiday, I've just been on a Ryan holiday kick, but he wrote a book before that called the obstacles, the way, and it's just something to be said about, I think there is something to be said about the path of least resistance. There's a time and a place, but I think sometimes too, when you can just go through it, um, you just, you get more from it and like, you don't prolong it. So I think just with my dad, I didn't try to run away from it. I didn't numb it. Like I cried a lot for like the first week mm-hmm. and then the crying turned more into laughter because I'm like, wow, there's so much that came out of this. And then from there, I'm like, yo, how can I, how can I, how can I, how can I heal from this and how can I share this? So mm-hmm. I think there's something too about just having clarity to experience grief that may shorten the process not that you need to rush through it but yeah no it definitely does shorten the process and it doesn't like add more complication to it Mm. where it's like oh you're gonna drink your like something happens and you're gonna drink it away and then it's like you fucking get a dui and it turns into something else and that's kind of like doomsday prepping but i'm just saying like it (laughs) it prolongs it and puts it into new to other places instead of it just festers it Mm. allows the trauma to fester instead of feeling like in the body what does it feel like this grief and how do i become comfortable and it's clear it's mm. clean it's not muddied by any other types of substances and it's just like all right like let me feel it all the way and go through its process and it'll come back but um yeah just having awareness over the places where we're hurting um informs us instead of kind of like this like phantom yeah yeah this phantom pain phantom pain (laughs) Mm -hmm. is there anything else you'd like to share with our beautiful listeners i mean health is wealth i would even throw mental health as wealth um i know this is the holiday time and depends on when someone will listen to this but if you think about the person in the world that you love the most or like the person that you could imagine yourself dying for um take that same feeling go look in a mirror and just remind yourself that that person you're looking at deserves that same type of love and care and grace and support because yeah i mean there's just a lot going on in the world and i feel again thinking about mental health and suicide i mean people who die by suicide i mean it really comes down to their thoughts just really getting the better half of them and i know that there are um you know medications that people can take and things people can do uh but that self-talk i mean it's it can really make or break us so i just want to encourage people to to love themselves a little bit more Awesome. Thank you. Where can people find you on the interwebs and where can people find your book from misery to hope? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, as far as I know, there's only one Carrie human, um, at K A R Y Y O U M A N. I'm not on TikTok, but I am on Instagram. No dancing. No dance. I love, (laughs) I love dancing and I actually do have, I do some advocacy around dance, but yeah, if you just go to at Carrie, Carrie human, um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carrie. And thank you all for listening to Opening Presence. Thanks for having me. Mm